Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know the difference between hockey and those other sports? You gotta be tough to be a hockey I idolized Dominic Hasek. I played goalie because of Dominic Hasek. My life in hockey has been started because of Sabres hockey. I didn't need playoffs this year. I wanted it, but I didn't need it. But when you screw up for the fans as much as the team has over the last, like, five years, and just don't hold yourself accountable, I'm sorry. I'll hang up and listen. I'm sorry. Welcome to Two Goalies, One Mike, an in-depth look and behind-the-mask conversation about the greatest game on earth, where everything goes and nothing's off-limits. Now I'll tell you something about this guy. This is only three minutes, eh? Whammo! Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 70 of Two Goalies, One Mike. I'm Johnny Cullen, joined alongside Dwayne Stenell, as always. And we are pleased to be joined by a longtime coming guest, Dom Lushishin. Hope I didn't butcher that too bad. Uh, Dom, how are you doing today, buddy? Thanks for coming on. Uh, not too bad. It's been a, a long time coming, as Dwayne has been in my DMs for, for months on end. Yeah, I've been sliding in those DMs for a while, but, you know, the one time you canceled on me, uh, I think you, you, oh, I forget what it was, and then I had to cancel on you, so we're both to blame here. But long time coming. Uh, special guest Dom, the second best Dom uh, in the room. Well, not in the room right now, but uh, currently the other Dom is on a walk. So uh, <laughs> I'm sure that. But you know, uh, I appreciate you coming on with us, man. Um, again, long time coming. I really do appreciate your work. Uh, actually, uh, when I do a lot of my own writing. I kind of I kind of refer to a lot of your uh, your content uh, when I do my own stuff for Trainwreck Sports. Uh, you amongst a few other uh, athletic writers. So I do I do appreciate the work you do and the time you put in, um, especially when it comes to this time of year. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, not a problem. Um, man. I want to start this right off. For those that don't know, Dom has been at the heart, if not like the founder of of. of I know there was those that came before you of of joining analytics into, into the game of hockey. And and you always have the old school guys that will say, well, you got to pass the eye test. Well, listen, my opinion is that, you know, if we can make the game better, if we can make the scouting better, if we can make the product better, then why not use every tool available to us? Uh, it, it's got to be frustrating, you know, or in the early years for you fighting that battle, and I'm sure you still get that. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about how you got into the, the analytics side of hockey? And, and then, you know, part two of that question would be um, about, you know, your new system. Is it, It's pronounced GameStar, GameStat. Game score. Wow, I fucked that up bad. <laughs> no, but just, just, just how you got into it and, and, and maybe some of the, the humps along the way that you've had to – you know, the hurdles along the way you've had to pass by because you know who I'm talking about. There's certain people out there that say, you know, analytics have no place in hockey. And I think that's such an arrogant, ignorant take. 
uh, because there is Agreed. a point for it. It's only going to make the game better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure like what year exactly I started, but it came from a want to bet on hockey, and I figured I could use math to do that. And that's sort of where it all began. I started reading about all the other people already doing stuff within the game, and I was learning from them and started doing my own thing. And it basically all just came from wanting to make money off of hockey and knowing that just picking things at random probably wasn't going to work and math was the way to go. So I started building some models and that's where I came across uh, game score, which I stole from basketball. <laughs> I think it was around, it was around the time that LeBron James won his championship with Cleveland. And I was just obsessed with reading everything about it and I stumbled on the stat for basketball and I thought we should have something like this for hockey. So I created it and I've been tweaking it ever since. And here we are now, I guess. So I'm i I'm sorry, Kelly. I just want to come on. And I'll kind of like, I'm, I'm of, I'm a, you know, I kind of came into analytics over the last two years, really kind of diving into it and trying to understand it more. Because I, you know, just, you know, I'm a little bit older than you guys. You know, I, I came from an age where, you know, when I playing and watching hockey that were analytics weren't as prevalent then, obviously, as it is today, if they were prevalent at all back then. You're so, fucking you know, three years older than me. Yeah, but. <laughs> I, no, I'm just fucking with you. Continue. All right. Well, I, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a grind. Like for somebody like me two years ago who doesn't really understand it. I just want to tell our listeners who were like me two years ago, analytics, it, 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 it like to just to understand it, it's, it's very difficult. You know, you know, the, the different uh, metrics that are involved with it. So to be like a guy like Dom who really dives deep into it and finds out like, and really brings out all the intricacies if that I'm, I'm for, you know, maybe it's a lack of a better word is the ability to do what you do on <laughs> A daily basis and the grind you go through, especially throughout that, throughout, yeah, not just the hockey, it's just all year round. You know, I, again, I give you so much, so much, like, uh, so, so many kudos for doing that because, you know, sometimes, like, my first couple times trying to understand it, I was like, it was like looking at hieroglyphics. It was like, I have no clue what I'm looking at. Now I've gone from, like, you know, ignorant to novice to, you know, slightly above novice right now, but I'm, I'm starting to get there, but just, you know, just for those listeners who don't understand what this guy does, he literally just every aspect of the game, every metric, he brings it out and he, the way he, the way he articulates it, whether he's talking about or he's writing about it personally, again, he's one of my favorite writers to go back and, and refer to when it comes to this stuff. Uh, Guy is unbelievable. So, Dom, just just for our listeners who just don't really couple understand. Clicks for a couple clicks yeah. For yeah. Yeah. Again, I'm not, I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying to pump your tires too much, Tom, no. but like it's it, it really is a difficult thing to just understand even as a novice, but to be to get to the level where you're at, it's just kudos to you, man. I, I appreciate that. I think that is my main goal because I didn't study stats or math in university. I studied journalism, and that's where I'm coming from, where if your audience doesn't understand what you're talking about, then what you're talking about doesn't matter. So I try to make it as accessible as possible uh, and try to make it appealing to not just other analytics savvy people, but also 
newcomers who may not understand it. I try to be open and transparent about things and try to be available to people who do want to learn about this side of the game. And everyone started at the place where they didn't understand analytics and thought it was silly or fad. And it does take some time to get to the point of acceptance. And it doesn't help if they're learning that from someone who is condescending or arrogant about it and is a jerk when it's more helpful to have patience and understanding and try to just show them the utility of it. And I know I can sometimes come across that way, uh, dealing with thousands of people. Sometimes some of them are jerks to you. So it's hard, but I try my best to give the same respect back that people give me. And as long as people are respectful in their questions and it seems like they genuinely want to understand then I try to do my best to guide them because I know not everyone understands numbers as well as some other people already do. Well, and I think to piggyback off that, um, one thing Dwayne said is that your ability to kind of um, involve and and have analytics be a part of your your, your writing and your articles, and and I don't want to say layman's terms, but in a way that you know a non-analytics expert can be able to break that down. Um, Sarah Sivian jokes about it all the time, right? And on, on how she uses mm-hmm. your charts and whatnot. Uh, and I find that hilarious. A couple clicks for Sarah, friend of the program. Mm-hmm. Um, hope to get her on one day. But um, going back to it, um, if you could, for some of our older listeners or even the younger younger kids that listen to the show, um, how would you explain like uh, how how Corsi works in, in a nutshell, and and then leading into what GameScore does. And I know basically Corsi basically tracks, correct me if I'm wrong, the amount of shots um, generated for versus against in your shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that goes into a whole bunch of different sub-levels in mm-hmm. my other way track. Yeah. So basically it's the same idea as plus minus, except we understand that goals are very infrequent events in hockey. So there's not that plus many minus, of them. Sorry to cut you off. Plus minus is one of the worst stats in all of hockey. Yeah, yeah. So the goal is to make it more useful because we do want to know how useful. Yeah, how players perform at five on five, and plus minus gives you goals for goals against, and that isn't as helpful because there's just not that many of those events. And plus minus also adds a bunch of bullshit on top of that, like shorthanded goals for empty netters, all that stuff. So Corsi is just five on five and it's all shot attempts. So rather than 40 goals for 40 goals against in a year, you're looking at like 500 to a thousand maybe over a whole year. So it just increases things um, and looks at shots, shots missed and block shots whenever a player is on the ice. Um, There's ways to like transform that to make it, more individualistic so you can look at how a player does when he's on the ice versus on the bench so if a team is that where expected goals comes from when they talk about like the the trading or i'm sorry to get you off track uh expected goals is just another extension of Corsi. so 
the main argument against it at the time was, okay, well, that treats all shots as equal when we know that's not true. So expected goals looks at the probability of a shot attempt going in and then assigns that value to the shot attempt and adds it all together. Maybe I was thinking about, you know, in the charts when you're looking at free agents, um, the adjusted goals, like, uh, I'm not getting it right, but like um, the the goals that, 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 that individual player would account for, whether it's a minus or negative, mm -hmm. a positive or negative. You know what I'm talking about? What's that called? Uh, war? Yeah. Was, okay. okay. Uh, yeah. I'm learning so much right now. I love it. No, I found that fascinating because mm -hmm. when you're looking at free agents, you've done a ton of charts with, um, you know, like, um, what's it runs above replacement or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I don't know what, what the, what it stands for. Um, but I think that's fascinating that you guys have been able to, to, use that the, the mathematics and 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 be able to to deliver that stat and and we saw Dom uh the teams that integrated analytics early had success one of the reasons Vegas had success right away they had a great analytics department right right from mm -hmm. the start mm -hmm. and, and and a couple teams were late to the party and I, I'd like to think that every NHL team has an analytics department um some have more invested in others and I think that shows. Um, and I'm not going to name any names to piss anybody off, uh, but you know we're we're in a market that's very understaffed. Dwayne, me, and you talked about that, right? And and I think the Sabers could do more there. Um, but going back to you know your explanation, um, a little bit about game score and, and how that affects and how that translates to hockey. Is it pretty much using Corsi and and War and that, or is there way more to it? Am I way off? So there's a, a lot to unpack there, but I'll start with uh, Buffalo actually making a, a very good hire, Ventura. Sam Ventura from uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, and he was part of the first group that made a war stat for hockey when he was with War on Ice with uh, Alex Mandraki and uh, AC Thomas. And they made a war stat, and that was sort of also what inspired game score as well, because one of my first models was making a projection based off of that. And once they, all three of them, got hired by NHL teams, it's like, okay, well, we had a worse stat for one year, and now we're back to square one. And I made something that was sort of simple, and it used Corsi at the time. It now uses expected goals, but basically the idea was to combine box score stats with those on-ice stats, so sort of bridge the gap between the normal stats like goals, assists, shots, block shots, face-offs, penalties, and add Corsi and five-on-five -five goal differential and sort of blend it together to create a player value rating. And the idea was that this score would help decide which players were good in a specific game. But if a player was good over a specific game and over a specific period of time then it's a good measure of how good that player was during a season so that sort of evolved into a war like metric yeah. um and i know there's a few other people out there who do have their own war metrics and game score is similar in that vein it's not nearly as complex uh but it's the same general principle well i appreciate you breaking that down um i do too i know there's a ton of our listeners that don't fully understand it but I, like Dwayne said, once I became a little bit more involved 
it only helped me understand it more and more. Uh, one last question, then Dwayne, I'll give it all to you. Um, when I talk, when I teach my goalies, I talk about the Royal road, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you draw and for the, our listeners, you draw a line from the center of one net all the way down the ice to the center of the other net. That's the Royal road. And I think it was, um, maybe I want to say Mike McKenna. No, it was, Steve a, what, what's that? Stephen Valakat. Yep, Stephen Valakat came up with that awesome article that looked at it, and it was fascinating. I want to say it was something like 80% or some very high number of goals scored in the NHL in that given season within five seconds or three seconds had either crossed the Royal Road with a pass or with a player skating by. And that, to me, was when it jumped out that said, hey, as a goalie, I can use this, mm -hmm. uh, and I can implement it not only into my game, but into my teaching, and and he did a hell of a job with that. Um, is Royal Road involved in anything that you guys do analytically? No, and that is one of the current flaws with expected goals is that there's no passing data, so you don't know what happens before a shot happens. You just know the location and the angle, and you can infer whether it was off the rush or a rebound, but there's nothing about if there was a pass before the shot and where that pass came from. So that's one of the biggest issues with expected goals right now. And there's private models from teams because teams have access to that kind of data where there'll be differences and discrepancies from the public models. Uh, the way I combat that is I use goals uh, because goals happened and they give some signal as to the difference between an expected goal and ones that actually went in. And I think that can sort of bridge the gap between having that row row data and not having it. You know, you know, we mentioned earlier, you know, this, the hire with Sam Ventura and obviously it couldn't have come at a better time. You know, obviously we know everything that's going down here in Buffalo. Uh, mm -hmm. It's an absolute disaster to, you know, except it, the wrist line trade. Great well, article, Dallas. <laughs> Which, which, yeah, that is funny. I mean, we, we did an episode immediately after that. Well, we did a live stream episode right after that just because, like, we just wanted to laugh at Philadelphia. Giving mm -hmm. <laughs> up what they gave up for Ristolainen because you, you – I mean, I don't need to be an analytics guru to know that, like, his analytics are horrible, mm -hmm. you know, and um, everything about him says he's not worth a first, a second, and a rostered player, even if their metrics are very similar. But – you know, Kevin Adams got a first, a second, uh, first in this year's draft, the second in next year's, uh, and just, um, I think it was Robert Hag, who, I mean, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, from the looks of it, I think he might even be a better, more of a defensive defenseman than Bristol-Lining was because, you know, in his own end, you know, even just using the eye test, you can just see that, like, one of his biggest issues for me was he would never just make the simple play Mm -hmm. He always made it much harder on himself. And that mm -hmm. was his biggest issue for me. Yeah, he can hit. Yeah, he, you know, he's tough in front of the net. But you know what? I don't know what. A lot of those times where he was tough in front of the net, the puck was already in the back of our net. Yeah. So, like, you can be as tough all as you want, you know, when the puck's already in the back of the net. Nobody cares. They scored. They put a, they put a point up on the board. Um, but, you know, you, had, you, had, you got that deal done, which was phenomenal. Obviously, you know, the return for Sam Reinhart wasn't as sexy as you hoped it would be uh, from – what I've gathered from talking to a lot of people, I guess, you know, he was more valued as a winger than he was a center, even though he played most of the last season and had 
potentially, in my opinion, his best season as a Sabre playing most of it at center. Um, you know, the right-handed defenseman was much more valued this year at, uh, you know, than, you know, a scoring winger. Uh, but even before that, um, bringing in a guy like Sam Ventura before this draft was so clutch and so key. And you saw some massive differences in the way they drafted this year. Uh, you know, they, they kind of went off the board and took an Isaac Rosine at, with the 14th overall pick, technically 13, you know, with Arizona's forfeited pick. And then they really went hard uh, at the Russians, you know, Prokar, Politov, Politov, I'm sorry if I'm butchering these names, uh, Alexander, Chris uh, Kisikov, uh, and then Steven Sardinian. I'm just going to call him the Sardine. Uh, three <laughs> Russians in a row. And, you know, that's nothing we have not – we haven't drafted a Russian since 2016. Um, and, I, you know, <laughs> judging from, the, again, the people I've talked to, Sam Ventura had a lot to do with that. Um, how clutch was it to bring a guy like him? Uh, I know you spoke on him before, but clutch like him to bring in in such uh, an important draft, being drafting first overall and having the amount of picks we had in this draft. I think it's huge. I wrote an article with uh, John Vogel uh, yep, last week about how Buffalo continues to fuck up the draft. Um, I know. <laughs> I love some people have suggested it's development more than drafting. Whatever it is, it's the reason they're still here a decade later at the bottom of the league. Yep. They have had so much value in terms of draft picks, and they've completely squandered it, or else mm -hmm. they would be a playoff team by now. That's just how it works. That's how it's worked for so many other teams, and for them, it's just the difference between them and a contending team is that they do not hit on their draft picks. Nope. Um, and having a guy like Sam Ventura helps a lot because he's a sharp mind. He is probably one of the sharpest minds in hockey just based on what he showed in the public sphere. And I don't know how much Buffalo was listening to their analytics staff before, but if they're bringing him in, I'm sure his voice will be heard and it'll be a priority. And I think he was a big reason why Pittsburgh had so much success over the past five years when everyone thought – they were always going to decline. This is the year they wouldn't make the playoffs, all that other stuff. And they kept finding ways. And I think he was probably a, a big part of that. And I don't doubt that the minute he stepped into the Buffalo office, he's like, get rid of wrist lining. Just Yeah, you had, you had to yeah, imagine. Yeah. I, I love the first line of um, your article. It's uh, finally a win for Buffalo, a massive win for Buffalo. The common thread throughout the Sabres' struggles to get out of the basement over the last decade has been Ristolainen. The difference between every player's numbers with him on the ice and on the bench is absolutely staggering, and that's perfectly encapsulated by the team's franchise player, Jack Eichel, who's also on his way out. Over the last three seasons, Eichel has spent nearly 1,000 minutes with Ristolainen, and in that time has a 46% goal rate. It's 55 without him. My expected yeah. goals, RAPM, a regression version of expected goals that takes into account teammates of competition. Ristolainen's effect is, is in the 22nd worst among all defenders and the third worst by goals. On a consistently bad Sabres team, Ristolainen has always been the anchor dragging everyone down. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well written, Dom. Well written. But, like, if, if you could take that – Ristolainen and in, in, in a lack of our success in your nutshell, it's that fucking paragraph. Well written, well yeah. done. Every Sabres fan should read that article. 
I gotta see if I can find a picture of it. Uh, a buddy of mine sent. Let me see. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna upload this in a second. I'll read it out. But uh, right after he got traded, somebody posted this tweet. Uh, he goes, "Never forget when I saw Rasmus was lining in rec room downtown and said, Go Sabers.' And he replied, "We suck. Go Bills. Best of luck, bud." That actually is kind of funny. I respect Ristolainen for that. That's that's self-awareness. Um I tweeted and knowing I, that you're part of the problem. Yeah. yeah. I I tweet a lot about Ristolainen, obviously after he got traded, and I have people saying that something about the eye test or some other shit. And I've watched him play and this has been going back a while. I remember at the World Cup, like he was this highly touted you prospect. The World Cup? Are you talking about the World Juniors? No, the World Cup. Uh, oh, he was on the Finnish team. Wow. Yeah, and I remember I was there live for a few games, and he looked like shit. I'm like, what? What are you guys talking about with this? Like, he's big, obviously, but like, yeah, he, he has no idea what's going on out there, and that Lowest is IQ player on the ice at all times. Lowest. Like he does, he's not a smart player at all. And that is something that feels very noticeable when you watch him and the analysts confirm it, but you get still get people saying he looks great out there, and that's how you get him going for a first and a second. And I, I still just don't I don't understand, understand it. it. I get I get the value of a right-handed defenseman. I understand it. Mm-hmm. Um because they always say that sometimes it's easier to get uh what is it, a right-handed defenseman or uh a left-handed Sometimes you're able to get, I may have worded this incorrectly, uh, you can get a, a left-handed defenseman sometimes to play the right side more easily than the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Darlene, I think, yeah, Darlene did that before he uh, made the jump to the NHL. But again, man, like, even if the value is there at, at, for a right-handed defenseman, like, what do you, like, I can't tell you the number of times where he had the easy play up the boards, keep it, like, Coaching up, you know, coach, Carly knows this is coaching our lives. The, the acronym KISS, keep it simple, stupid. Mm-hmm. And he just does the opposite every single time. Like, I'm going to carry the puck up and try and split these two players rather than just go up the boards to my winger. He just he consistently would never, ever make the simple play. And that's one of the things I love most about Owen Powers' game is he didn't put himself in those, uh, you know, pressure situations where he backed himself into a corner uh, the, the, the past year and previous that was Chicago Steel. He trusted in his forwards to carry the puck out if he couldn't. And he wasn't afraid to go high and up the boards if he felt like he was under pressure. And hey, that's something blasting out. And I know we're not yeah. trying to keep away possession. It's, but it's risk alignment consistently, to your point, Dwayne, forced pucks through the middle of the yeah. ice and um, led to turnovers. That, listen, if you're going to turn the puck over, turn it over in their end or at the far blue. Don't turn it over in the middle of your own end. And Rissalani oh, consistently did that. And Donald, I know that you haven't seen every single Sabres game, but it's something that we've lived through. And, and a lot of people, the, the Rissalani defenders, which are very few, they said, well, the man plays with jam. Listen, you can play with jam. Cal McCarr plays with jam, right? Owen Power plays with jam. You can play with jam without having – like uh, the the IQ of of a Cully or a Dwayne, I hate to say it, but um, you know it's just a well written article about that. I, I think every Sabres fan should check it out. Um, Sabres grade A plus, Flyers grade F minus. Um, let me ask you this on on the on like the flip side of it, what is Brian Burke and is it Chuck Fletcher? No, uh, Ron Hextall. Ron Hextall. What are they thinking? 
he's big, he's got jam, and they probably think that Does playing he, with Travis what? Sanheim on a second pair and not getting tough minutes, he'll be better. And he probably will be. He probably won't be as bad as he was in the Sabres, but the enormous gap between his results and his usage, like, it just doesn't cover it. He's not going to be suddenly good on the second pair unless he takes a massive leap. And maybe he also needed a change of scenery. He's been in Buffalo on this bad team. And although part of the reason they're bad has been because of him, I'm sure it's still weight on him. And there is a chance he can be what the Flyers need if the fit is right. Uh, I think Burke has generally been good at finding quality players, but Ristolainen seems like a poor man's Dion Phaneuf, and that's not a good thing for Philadelphia. <laughs> now, hey, I, I think that, um, and you mentioned right, get them getting Ryan Ellis. I, I play with Ellie. He's, and I play with him and Petro. Dwayne, shut up. Don't even mention it. Um, he <laughs> says, a year away. Episode. Ryan Ellis was the best defenseman I've ever played with. Not just because he scored 50 goals in the OHL, last player mm -hmm. to do it, not a big deal. Not just because um, he was able to defend and play below the dots for being a little guy, but just his IQ, his ability to knock down pucks at the blue line, chips past him, but he was always in the right spot, and, and I'm happy to see the Flyers get him. Maybe maybe that insulates them a little bit from this Risto trade. Yeah. Yeah, but I, for I sure. do agree with you that, that you know, Risto definitely, you know, needed a change of scenery. Is that going to turn him into a different player? No. Um, I'm happy to get him off the books. And here's the interesting thing. I just uh, finished watching Owen Power on the Instigators, and he's backed off his comment a little bit about going back to school next year. And, and I think maybe – tell me if I'm wrong. Does having that right-hand, you know, first pair of spot open up? Um, have anything to do with that, guys? You tell me. By the way, I wore the wrong shirt. This was supposed to be worn last episode. With Owen Power. <laughs> I, 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 before you answer, Dom, I'm just going to make an – I disagree with him coming – making the jump this year. No, I just – I never said he I, should. I, I, know, I know, I know. I'm just – I'm not saying disagree. I'm saying off? It's, it'd be so much better for him and his development to just go win a national championship. Yeah. You know what I mean? Go win a national championship, man. Go, you know, you, you went to Michigan, you went what to Michigan University. Kent, what if Kent and, and uh, Kent Johnson and Matty Beneers stick? What do you, what do you, what do you, I mean, Beneers, Beneers has made, made mention that he plans on going back. Yeah. I'm just saying, my question was if Beneers and Kent Johnson stick in the league, I have. I think that you're. 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 It's going to be a lot tougher to win the national title when you take away two of the top, two of the top forwards in college hockey. Yeah, I mean, you still have Luke Hughes, who hasn't played a single game for Michigan yet either. He was a uh, fair point. I he hasn't played a single game for Michigan yet. I just. I just think. I just think in terms of all four of those players' development. I understand it's a sexy option to go right into the NHL, sign your entry level deal, and be put in a situation, you know, where you're living out your dream immediately. But you know that, you know, you know, barring injury, some catastrophic injury, you know, knock on wood, you know, they're, you know, stay in school, you know, finally go 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 be a, a kid for one more year before you have to grow up real fast. Go go to Michigan University, go to Yost, have an unbelievable time, get the experience of that crowd and that atmosphere, and then really challenge, at least play in the Frozen Four tournament and know what that's like and know what that pressure is like. I think that does a lot. 
Yeah, you, you know what I mean? Oh, that's what I'm saying. You know, know the pressures of having to get there. And, you know, that, that, that glass, that brass ring was dangled in front of them this past season. It was taken away because of COVID. You know, those kids are hungry. They want to go win a national championship. You know, Power has made that known. Like, he wants an opportunity to do that and just to have the college experience. And I don't blame him. He's still a kid. He's 19 years old. Um, yeah. Uh, I wanted to tra- I wanted to transfer to a topic down. Did you have anything else on that? Uh, no, I think you guys covered it well. I I don't know too much about prospects. I don't follow it at all. I'm not going to pretend like I do. But after this year, I was ravaged by COVID. I feel like every prospect should just go back and get a one year Agreed. of normalcy. Agreed. Yeah, and 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 Dwayne, Dwayne, you hit the nail on the head, and we talked about it more in the own power episode. One of the other articles that you wrote, and I love it because me and Dwayne talked about this all the time. We are big offer sheet guys. We want to see the. Uh, I love a, I want offer sheet. Mm-hmm. Why is why is so many GMs against that? Like, who cares? I, it's, it should be some unwritten code. This is a business at the end of the day, and the business is making your team the best possible team to succeed as possible. I entirely that question to you. Um, I've always thought that there's a good old boys club in the sense that they all go down and 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 for the GM meetings, they all work together on trades. A lot of them have past histories or have worked together before. Is it a respect thing? Um, because you know we've seen a couple teams do it, and I think those two GMs just don't give a fuck. But like, are we going to see one? Uh, before I get into to your article. What is your thinking behind why these GMs don't offer sheet players? Is there an understanding agreement that you're not going to offer sheet a guy if you ever hope to make a trade with that GM again? There, It does feel that way. Uh, I don't know the exact machinations of how they're thinking, but it does feel like they don't want to get burned themselves. And it's probably also a collusion thing where they don't want to blow – up the RFA structure for everyone else, where these are guys who are always underpaid and you get their prime years for a bargain. And if you blow that up for one player, it might snowball and take out that market inefficiency for everyone. Um, but I I don't know how you see Braden Point as an RFA a couple of years ago and not give him $10 million because he would have been worth it. It's the same with Elias Pedersen this year. You don't even have to give up four picks to probably make life hard for Vancouver because they right now are looking at doing a bridge deal for Pedersen and Hughes because they don't have cap space well, to make it work. What would bridge deal put them at? What, what would the price they'd need to pay? I think it's something – they're looking at something around like $7 million, something around the Braden Point contract. And, and if you I have it right in front of me. So $7 million puts you at – one first, one second, one third. That's it. Yeah, and fucking sign me up in a heartbeat. Give me. I mean, a that's wow. that's what Vancouver is looking at, right? So that probably won't be enough to pry him out of Vancouver. They'll be like, "Thank you for this gift," sort of like the Sebastian Aho offer sheet. But if you put some pressure on them and go to ten million, just under the four first round pick compensation, they'll probably have a chance to actually get the player. And if you're a decent team. A two first, a second, and a third won't be as much value as Elias Pedersen will provide. You're probably not going to get a Pedersen with those picks. Yeah, man, that's – listen, I get why the draft is so important, but I think, uh, like, way too many fans overvalue draft picks. 
yeah. to hear these people call into the radio and to even hear certain certain radio hosts, and I'm not going to name names uh, because I like a few of them, certain people outside, even in the game, overvalue draft picks. Like, you know, Dom, because you deal in analytics. You've you've done you've seen the chart where it's like outside of the top three picks, the the percentage that that guy is going to play a hundred or even five hundred games is so low. It mm-hmm. gets so much lower as we go. Dwayne, maybe we can post that at some point. Yeah, because um, it's a re- it, 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 I opened it. It was an eye opener for me um, because you know, like look at all like uh, I'm not even going go any further with that. It's a fascinating chart. Dom, you know what I'm referring to? Yeah, yeah, and I've done my own chart that is based on game score that looks at the actual value of each pick in a way where you can sort of translate that to player value. Uh, and Where can I, our fans find that? Uh, if you just Google draft pick value and then my name, it's it'll probably come up, but it'll show the value of each pick and... That is over the a player's first seven years. So then you can compare it to a player like Pedersen, who's worth three wins per year. Over seven years, that's 21 wins. And in order to get that value from a first, a first, a second, a third, you have to be one of the worst teams in the league every single year while those picks are active. And it just it's unlikely with Pedersen on your team. And obviously, if you're a team like Buffalo, it's uh, – a hard sell to Archie Pearson. Picks are going to be lottery. Yeah, yeah. These now let me let me make this clear. These aren't lottery protected picks. If you were mm-hmm. to offer to a guy, yeah, yeah, you're, not, you're you're giving up the picks. That's why you know I th- I think Buffalo would steer. I mean, I I love the idea of Elias Pedersen in Buffalo because I think you know not that I'm trying to fast track this rebuild, but like he's just a very dynamic elite. No, but no, no, I understand what you're saying, but like again, you know, with those pe- picks obviously not being lottery protected, you have to, you, you you could be looking at Buffalo probably finishing near the bottom of the league at least next season, and you're giving up a chance at drafting in in a draft where you know potentially I think is it Shane Wright next year? Yeah, Shane yeah. Wright. Yeah, you know, you're looking at a, a Shane Wright where you know that could be a franchise changing type of player and. You know, I hate I hate playing the what ifs game. You know what? Well, what if you do this and you lose out? You you your pick ends up being a lottery winner. You know, but at the same time, I think a guy like you're Shane getting Ray, elite player, yeah, yeah, sense. yeah. But you're still also getting an elite player in Elias Pettersson. That's my point. Now I wanted to play a fun game. Okay, so you uh you and James Myrtle listed. I think it's eight or is it ten? Eight. Okay, so I'm we gonna had list, ten. I'm gonna the car got signed. Uh, I'm gonna list off the players. And uh, we're going to go through and say the best fit for the Sabres. First one, we talked about Elias Pettersson. Right now he's $10 million over five years. You talked about him signing a bridge deal because of Vancouver's cap space at around seven. Okay, and then I'll get his big deal. Up next, we have Adam Pellick, uh, who was an absolute horse for the Islanders. Um, you know, for those that didn't watch, you know, I thought he was in the top five defenders in 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 the Stanley Cup playoffs, and and you and you're looking at two of them were on the Montreal Canadiens, right? With with Petrie and Weber, um, he's an undervalued player that I thought showed what he could do this year. 
Um, not only not only does he have that jam, he's fucking nasty. He's he's this generation Scott Stevens. We don't see the game has changed, right? You see a lot of the the top defenders being the Kelmacars, the Luke Hughes, a lot of guys with offensive upside. And I'm not saying Adam Pelk doesn't have that, but fuck man, this guy's a nasty player to play against. And that's what I think I like I, I as a head coach, I love that on the team. So we have Adam Pelk as number two. Okay, and right now he's on a 6.15. Is that put him in the same range as Pedersen? A first, a second, and a third? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, no. 6.15 would put him in the class below. Right, right, right. I did a lot of the things we designed the price to fit under certain thresholds. So if the threshold was 6.15, we put it exactly at that threshold. Okay, so so far we got Pellick, we got um, Pedersen. Next up, we have Andrei Svechnikov. He's at eight million uh, over six years. Um, next up, we have Alex Barboule. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I've never heard of him. He's a uh, so basically Myrtle's idea was there's a few of these young guys on Tampa Bay where the idea is to give them like modest pay raises where the compensation is literally nothing. And if they match, you just go down the lines. You go Barboule, then you go to Ross Colton, and then I think they have a third guy. You just keep hitting Tampa Bay uh, until you get one of these guys. I like that. And then, you know, Yanni Gord and Barkley Goodrow are already gone. Yeah. And then you got David Svard, and, wow, that's fascinating. I like that idea. Um, really, really well done. Um that next up, Kevin Fiala from the Minnesota Wild. He's at six point one five times five years, um, and he's been you know great with Minnesota. Uh, you know, obviously, I don't know if he can sustain that success. Um, hopefully, he does. Um, he's obviously got great numbers uh, analytics. Um, what is this? Fiala has a seventy point upside in a bigger role. Can you explain that? Well, he only plays around 16, 17 minutes a night for Minnesota. So if he were to get first-line minutes, you could reasonably expect that his point rate would increase and he can get to that 70-point area, maybe even 80 points. We saw a couple of years ago, as soon as he came to Minnesota, he had a bit of a slow start, but then second half of the season he caught fire and he was one of the best players in the league for a short stretch. So he has that talent level where if he can just stay consistent, he can be one of the best goal scorers in the league. So he wasn't playing with Kaprizov regularly, no, right? No. Okay, makes sense. This is my most interesting pick. Number six, Ilya Sorokin, the goaltender for the Islanders, 4.1 over three years. Me and Dwayne as goaltenders have talked about the, you know, one of the biggest needs. If Even if we do sign Allmark, um, let's just say we don't sign Allmark, then this makes even more sense for me. Um, you know, he's a goaltender that, He's proven that, you know, he can play at this league and he can be a, a 1A, if not a, you know, a 1B, if not a 1A guy. Um, and I think, you know, you look at his numbers, 22 regular season games, 918 save percentage, um, and a, two six, a 274 goals against at the 16th. Uh, and that puts him right in the middle. But, you know, that was on a, you know, a pretty good Washington team this year. I think they won the President's Trophy, didn't they? Uh, they were close. They were close. They were up there t- until the very end. Um, next up, Igor Shosturkin. Is he the goaltender for the Rangers? Yeah. Yep. Shosturkin. 
So, I mean, six and seven make a ton of sense, um, for, for at least my opinion. Sorry. The last one, Connor Garland for the Vancouver Canucks, 5.5 over four years. Um, and so going going around, uh, maybe I'll start with you, Dom, while, while me and Dwayne think about it. What makes the, 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 the most sense for the Sabres here? If, let's just say, Allmark doesn't sign or if he signs a one-year deal, um, who, who would you go after if you were Kevin Adams? I would go after whoever doesn't cost anything, and that would probably mean just do the Tampa route. I think the Sabres are way too far away from contention, especially if they're going to trade Jack Eichel, that this is just the start of a new rebuild, and I'd rather take some bets on guys like uh, Barry Boulay and Ross Colton for no compensation rather than give up a, a second or a first and a third for... What about Shesterkin? He'd only cost you a second-round pick. I mean, if you can get Shesterkin for a second-round pick, then absolutely. I just think that he might be... It might take a bit more to pry him out of uh, New York. So the process goes... We offer sheet them. They have the chance to match that plus yeah. go up. Uh, they no, that's the deal. So that's the deal that's signed, and they can either match or they can take the compensation. Okay. So we would I, have to. And now let me let me ask you this: the the average annual average value in the compensation chart is that off of his current deal, or is that off of the deal that we would offer him? Uh, so on, in the article, we put the deal that we would offer the player. Um, so I'm not sure. I don't remember what it was for Shesterkin, but for like Pedersen, for example, I think the offer was 4.1. 4.1? Uh, yeah. 4.1 over three years. No, that's Sorokin. Sorokin. Sorry. Yeah. I think, I think for Shesterkin, I went closer to six. Yeah, Yeah. Which would be a first and a third, if I recall correctly. But like Sorokin for me at four point one, that gives you you're giving up a second round pick for a young mm-hmm. guy that I know we have some guys in the pipeline that Dwayne likes, but hell, like he mm-hmm. well, that's well. That's, a, that's another thing too, though, Cully. We just to get uh, Devin Levi. You do have Portillo at Michigan, who I we both have a lot of high hopes for, and UPL. I'm all for Sorokin, you know, or you know Shesterskin if, if 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 the price is right and the compensation is right, but. Um, I think we just, I, for me, I would rather just develop, and I'm not disagreeing. I like that idea, but I would rather develop what we have right now and maybe find some stopgap guys to, to kind of fill those holes in until, you know, you have your pieces in place and then what you already do have is ready to make the jump to the NHL because Devin Levi really impressed the World Junior Tournament. He, uh, you know, there's a lot of high hopes around him. Um, you know, Eric Portillo, we've had him on the show. I have a lot of high hopes for him. And there's always going to be some hype around uh, Ukapeka Lukanen. Um, I don't hate the idea. I, you know, if, you know, if they, if they said tomorrow that they offer she, uh, Elias Sorokin or Igor Shesterskin, I'm on board a hundred percent. But if I, I think Shesterkin is, is like Dom said, I think he's too expensive because of they're not a lot of protected picks and you're giving up a first. I like the idea of Sorokin just because at, at your projection of 4.1 Dom, I'm willing to give up a second, right? And mm-hmm. um, you're right, Dwayne Devon, Devon Levi, Devin Levi, 
coming in helps, but he's also he's going to be a, a sophomore, or he's going to be a, yeah, he's going to be a sophomore. It would have been a, it, it, this would have been his freshman year had it not been for COVID. Um, but right, I uh, so, I think it's at Northwestern, maybe I can't remember what college. Like, let's just say he plays out at least his his junior year, maybe gets his senior what would be a senior year, right? He's yep. then got a year in the AHL, right? Like, so he's far away. Like, I, I, I no. think so. Yeah, that that would be my only. I'm argument. not disagreeing with it, but I like Dom's idea of going the Tampa Bay route too, though. Like, I those guys sound like you're not giving up anything, and they're low risk, high reward, right, Dom? Yeah, if you yeah. imagine on a That's team the like idea. this, yeah, mm-hmm. low risk, high reward. Because you I can, love Ross Colton too. Yeah, on Buffalo, you can give them top six minutes, see what they do, and you, you either got something or you wasted money not pick so i think that's the route i would go uh i do like sorokin i think he has potential but i think worst case he is really good but not elite and buffalo lowers its chances of getting the number one pick next year and i think ideally when buffalo is ready that's when you look at an offer sheet for a goalie rather than right now when they're nowhere close are we talking tank? Is that what you're talking? Are we talking tank 2.0? Uh, yes. <laughs> the tank is back with a vengeance. Uh, uh, my God, man. And we didn't even lose it the first time. Yeah, we didn't get McDavid, but you got a phenomenal player with an Eichel. And unfortunately, you know, only this franchise could find a way to screw that up. And, you know, uh, I, I'll say this, you know, last question or two here, and then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll end the episode. But I, uh, two things, um, you know, well, this is not really much of a question, more just want your thought on it is, um, you know, at this season's end, obviously you had the Eichel just dealing with nagging injuries from last season, obviously the, the neck injury, the ankle injury, the cracked ribs to start the season. The guy could not just catch a break, you know, you know, dealing with his injuries from last season, then what happened in training camp and then throughout the season. Um, it, you know, I guess it's just like a, against the thought is it really sucked because Unlike some Sabres fans, I was actually optimistic when the season ended because you think you finally found your coach in Granado who really gets the best out of players. You know, the most evidence pointing towards guys like Casey Middlestad and Rasmus Dallin who finally came out of their shell. You know, I felt like they were neutered under the system that Kruger was trying to implement, mm-hmm. especially Dallin. And then, you you know, you had Sam. Granado was the only coach who put him at the position. He was drafted at the play center, and he excelled. He played very well at center. And at this season's end, I'm looking at the big picture and I'm seeing one of the biggest obstacles any team has when building a team and trying to sustain success is having that depth down the middle. It's Mm -hmm. hard to find. And I'm looking at this. I'm like, well, finally you have a coach who's willing to keep Sam Ryder at center. You have Jack Eichel. You have Dylan Cousins and you have Casey Middlestat. Not saying that like Casey's going to be your fourth line center, but you have two guys who could interchange the third line centerman. And I'm just like, oh my God, finally. Like we finally figured it out. Like, and you know, I think I've always felt it's easier to find goals when you have great to elite centers with average at wingers. I think Sidney Crosby's proven that time and time again. Um, but, you know, figuring that out and then exit interview day comes mm-hmm. and the shit just hits the fan. The Sabres break these ho- the hockey Twitter. And it was just like, Oh my God, we are officially the Cleveland Browns of hockey. This is so bad. Like it was, it was so infuriating because I thought I was so optimistic. I'm just like, they got the biggest thing figured out down mm-hmm. the middle. 
They yeah. haven't figured out. And then that day happened, and it was just like, oh my god, not again. Well, not again. Papers hell. Yeah, yeah. I feel bad for you guys. <laughs> but Wait, uh, uh, before you ask your last question, I gotta head out of here. Uh, Dom, tip of the cap, couple clicks. Thanks for all you yeah. do. Hope to have you back on. Um, let you finish up the show, Dwayne, and I will see you guys. Thanks to all the fans for listening. Um, and look forward. We have two big name guests coming up. Dwayne, I'll let you tease that. But thanks again, Dom. Nice chatting with you. I, I appreciate. Uh, talk to you later, Cully. No, uh, another thing too is um, it was just uh, tweeted out by Lance Lyasowski, who's kind of like one of our beat reporters here in Buffalo, that the Sabers are already extending their qualifying offers from RFAs. One of the, the biggest name in that grouping, which uh, they, we really haven't gotten much detail on, but you know, there's some stuff to speculate on because of the McCarr deal. Um, and uh, before that, I think it was Heiskanen, Heiskanen, mm-hmm. a scientist. Where do you see a guy like Rasmus Donnelly with the metrics he showed last year? I, I think more specifically, you should more focus on what he was doing under Granado rather than Ralph Kruger, who should have never been in a coach in the NHL to begin with uh, again. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you see him slotting in at, you know, uh, you see him bridge deal. Do you see them going long-term and what's your number? If you were to make that decision, I, I would bet on his talents and go long-term. I agree. Uh, I think it's a bit scary because of him regressing a bit uh, to start the year. And I think last year wasn't a great year either, but what he showed under Granada was promising i don't have the exact numbers in front of me but i just know he looks a lot better and it seemed like he was playing a lot better so i would bet on that and i don't think it'll cost as much as high or Makar. and no. i think there's a chance he can still get to that elite level where he'll be well worth that price now what price tag would you actually put him at do you think obviously you're not looking at like a nine million dollar guy mm-hmm. you said which was Makar got i think it was over six years nine million over six yeah. Um, you know, and I can't remember the exact uh, semantics of Heiskanen's uh, deal, but I was thinking, you know, if you can get a, I, I agree, bet on the player because you see the talent. You see how how great of a puck-moving defenseman he is, how smart he is, how, you know, he put, you know, and one of the things with Granato is he finally started to play with swagger again. Mm-hmm. You know, he seemed confident. You know, he came out of his shell. He wasn't afraid to make plays that you, you know, that he was making even in his rookie season, or before that when he was playing in Fernando. Like he's he's not afraid to, you know, take the take those attributes that got him t- to this point and just ran with it. Mm-hmm. It was like finally letting let, letting the horse out of the barn. It's like, hey, just run. And uh, you know, that's what I felt like under Granado is you got those best offensive attributes out of Darlene. And I agree. I I feel like. You know, if you offer the long-term deal now, you know it's going to look like a even better down the road. Mm-hmm. The price tag you get him at. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think Evolving Hockey has him at an average deal of five point five million over five or six years. And I think if you can get him at that for six years, I think you sign that for sure. And if it takes going to six to get the seventh or eighth year, I think it's worth it. There's probably some risk if you get to seven or eight million, but I don't think it'll it would take that. I think I I think if if it came down push came to shove it, it between six and a half to seven, I think he you know if you sign that guy at seven million dollars a year in three years it'll be worth it. I just yeah. you just see he just he's such a smart kid, um, mm-hmm. and you know it's, one of the things too is I met I kind of met his family after he was drafted. He comes from a really good family, and you know he's got a good head on his shoulders. 
he's not, you know, um, you know, one of the, some of the stories we used to hear downtown, you know, uh, from, you know, seeing some of the players downtown or last couple of years is while some of the guys are at the bar doing their own thing, you know, Darlene's over drinking orange juice. He's, mm -hmm. you know, he's very responsible. He's not, he's got a good head on his shoulders. He knows why he's here. He wants, he wants to succeed. He wants to win. Um, you know, he's just, you know, I, I like his demeanor and just the, the, the person he's developing into even off the ice. I think mm -hmm. I see him being, I see him wearing a letter someday even. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and before we let you go, obviously uh, one of the biggest topics in the NHL right now is Jack Eichel. Um, there are a lot of speculations surrounding, you know, Minnesota for a good 48 hours and everybody was throwing out, you know, their potential trade offers, rumored Boldy, Rossi, you know, Greenway, Fiala was in there taking on Dumba's contract. And then the Rangers coming in with their comical offers and, you know, mm -hmm. you know, you see it on Twitter and I, I personally, I get it that, you know, Capo Caco is a good, you know, a, progressing to be a very good 200 foot hockey player. From mm -hmm. the metric standpoint, I just don't understand how Rangers fans can think a guy with 40 points in 100 and over a, nearly almost 120 games is untouchable. Yeah, I I don't see him being untouchable, especially for a player of Eichel's caliber. I feel like that should have been the starting point because even Buffalo is taking risk taking on Kako based on his first yes two seasons. Uh, you're not getting. Buffalo's taking the risk because they're not getting a player like Eichel back, and the firsts that New York will give back probably won't be very high picks. Yep. So they got to get someone like Kako back to make up ground, and I, you see what Seth Jones goes for. Uh, I think Columbus did really well there. Very well. I, I can't imagine why Buffalo shouldn't, should take less than that. I, I agree. I get the injury plays into it, but he is skating. He is training on his own. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of positive things pointing in the direction of him being ready to play next season. Um, and you know what you're getting, uh, you know, not last season, but the season before that, when he was on that 18 game heater, like, you know, he was the best player in the world at that, at that in that moment in time. Like, there was mm -hmm. nobody better, not even McDavid, just the way mm -hmm. Jack was playing and putting this team on his back. And yeah. that's just the way it's been. And frustration builds, man. We saw Ryan O'Reilly. Frustration builds when you're consistently losing, but you go out there and skating your balls off. And it's just you know, when the results aren't there, frustration starts to mount and build. And you're seeing it right now in this offseason. Guys, are they want to leave. You know, money doesn't really isn't really a thing anymore. It's about wanting to go somewhere and win. I get it, man. You know, being a former hockey player myself, Cully gets it too. It's just like you mm -hmm. want to go somewhere and win. It's not always just about the dollars and cents. It's about wanting to give yourself a chance to play in the playoffs. Yeah. And uh, I uh, I like the, uh, you know, I was always on the on, on board with a deal with Anaheim. I like what they have in their system and Drysdale and Zegers, you know, of course, you keep hearing that got, both, both those guys are off the table, which, again, I don't understand because yeah. you would hope that a Zegers would be an Eichel. He's not an Eichel, though. He's not. Yeah, he's you're not. Getting, you're not. And, but I like those. So the I, I feel like the best fit in an Eichel trade might be Minnesota. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I, I'm not sure what Eichel is after here because he's not going to go to a contender either. Um, I think it'd be nice to play with Kaprizov in Minnesota, but in two years when they have $70 bajillion in dead cap space from yeah. buying out Suter and Breeze, I just don't know yeah. what's going to happen there. Do you see him on this, on this team next season? Probably not, but I, so. I mean, the team is better with him on it, and I think I it's never too late. Uh, I'm a Packers fan, and apparently Aaron Rodgers is coming back, but it's hard when 
Sam Reinhart gets traded and you look around the forward depth and it's just very bleak. Well, yeah, look at everything. Everybody's been traded away over the last couple of years, going back yeah. to Evander Kane, Ryan O'Reilly, um, now Sam Reinhart. Like, you know, you traded away all his buddies. Like, it's yeah. like just him now. It's, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I never got on board with some of the some of the criticism he got that he wasn't a leader. You know, well, you go out there and skate, skate again, skate your balls off game at night and night out and constantly lose. And you're giving a maximum effort, and the, the result is always the same. And tell me how you're going to feel. Yeah. You know, yeah. same way Ryan O'Reilly did. You went and put him on a team that was ready to win and knew how to build, knew how to draft, knew how to develop. And wow, the very next season, Ryan O'Reilly is in a Stanley Cup and winning the Con Smythe. Mm-hmm. And we're all here wanting to walk off a cliff in Buffalo. Yeah, sadly. So, absolutely. But, uh, Dom, I, uh, I do appreciate you coming on with us, man. Um, hope we didn't talk here off too much. I do mm-hmm. appreciate it. Um, but, uh, you know, thanks for joining us again. And, um, you know, good luck uh, in the off season. I know you got a lot of work ahead of you. Um, and uh, enjoy some of the uh, – where, where are you, where are you uh, stationed at? Like where uh, – where... Uh, I'm in Toronto. Oh, you are in Toronto. Okay. Yes. You have some pretty nice weather right now, I think, right? A little, a little too hot right now. A little too hot, uh, yeah. It's, yeah I, went golf, I went golfing this morning. It was 85, and I was ready to die. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I was, I was golfing with a buddy, though, who's from Louisiana, and, like, we're walking on the course, and he's wearing a hoodie. I'm like, are you out of your mind? He goes, oh, this is cold for me, man. My heat index is, like, 120 in Louisiana. Oh, my God. That's I, I could never, crazy. Yeah. I, need my, I need seasons. I need fall. I, mm-hmm. I, like, I don't hate winter. You know, I, I need seasons. I could never yeah. deal with that kind of heat. I'd be inside all day. <laughs> yeah, I, I am inside all day. <laughs> you know, inside all day. So, mm-hmm. but thanks again, Dom. Appreciate it. I'm glad we were finally able to get this done. And uh, you know, hopefully, we can have you again sometime in the future. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. No problem, buddy. Uh, this has been episode 70 of Two Goalies, One Mike. This is Dwayne for Cully signing off. We will talk to you again next week. Do, did, will. The Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.